everyone is in denial about something. Don't believe it? You Can I just prove the point? All you have to do is ask your family or your friends to make a list, right? As Mark Twain once said, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. In fact, it, it flows through each and every one of us as, as an embedded human trait. The truth is, denial is really just a defense mechanism against realities that, that threaten our ego. So more positively, it can be a protective device in the face of, of unbearable news, right? A way to delay or at least to maybe soften the blow a little bit. Often, however, it's a refusal to, to accept reality. Some truth about the world or ourselves or other people or the world around us. Thus blocking it from our, from our awareness. One of the greatest dealers of denial is sin. Sin, by its very nature, does a masterful job of using our own denial defense mechanism against us so that it can remain hidden and, and active. And so as human beings, we are often in denial of our own brokenness. We're in denial that we quite often speak or act, or fail to speak and act in ways that fracture our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship to the rest of the world. We're in denial that we're rather curved in on ourselves, that we would actually prefer to order the world around us. We're in denial that we don't just need, we don't just need to be pardoned from offenses, but we actually have a condition that needs to be healed. And part of that might be because maybe we've heard judgmental or hateful or shame-producing messages about how terrible we are, maybe from a church, maybe from a pastor before, a Facebook post, even a friend or family member. We're just a depraved screw-up, right? And that's like, that's the entirety of our identity. So of course... We put up our defenses. But that's actually sin trying to cause us to be in denial of our belovedness. But we're also in denial because sin has always been based on a lie. So we shouldn't be surprised that one of the things that it does best is to try to convince us about how we're really fine, that we really don't have a problem. I mean, modernity loves to bombard us with messages about how we're really fine, how we're so much more advanced than previous generations long ago. Just be true to yourself, right? I mean, that sounds great in theory. I don't know about you, but, I, but I'm actually pretty good at deceiving myself, too. Denial can only go so far be, before it, it begins to, 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 um, to dam up our hearts and lives creating like this toxic, stagnant pool where things only just continue to fester and choke off the life and love we were made for. 
But just as denial of our sin is a characteristic human trait, so too is mercy a characteristic trait of the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so this God of mercy extends an open invitation always to turn and return, return time and time again from denial to confession that we might experience forgiveness and healing and new life. And that's our final returning point in our sermon series, returning point, from denial to confession. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from book of Psalms, specifically be reading from Psalm 51 this morning. I invite you to listen for God's word. This is a psalm of David. Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict. Completely correct when you issue your judgment. Yes, I was born in sin and guilt from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me. And sustain me with a willing spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Psalm 51 marks this dramatic re-turning point for David. This is the David God chose when he was just a shepherd boy to be the eventual king of Israel. This is the David who defeated Goliath. This is the, this is the David who God said was a man after God's own heart. This is also the David who was deeply flawed and broken. This is the David who saw Bathsheba next door and decided he would want her and that he would have her despite the fact that she was already married. Who then directed his military commander to have Bathsheba's husband Uriah sent to the front lines of the battle and then told the other troops to withdraw from him so he would be struck down. Truly awful stuff. Second Samuel records the details. We don't know how long David sat with this sin. We don't know what kind of denial games David played with himself to keep it hidden so that he or others wouldn't have to confront, have to come face to face with this, this truth of what happened. We do know that God eventually sends Nathan, the prophet, to confront David directly with the, with the truth of what he had done. 
And when he does, David finally says, I've sinned against the Lord. And Psalm 51 is traditionally thought to be the rest of David's confession. And the fact that David makes this confession before God represents a huge turning point. Can you imagine if what would have happened internally if David had lived in denial of what he had done? If David had not admitted that he had a serious problem, if David had not come before God in sorrow and desperation for healing and for forgiveness. There are other psalms that actually capture what happens when we're in a posture of sin denial. Psalm 32, when I kept quiet, my my bones wore out. I was groaning all day long, every day and every night. My energy was sapped as if in a summer drought. Psalm 38. I am bent, I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my sides are filled with with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am numb and completely crushed. I have roared because of the groaning of my heart. Have you ever been in that place? Felt that way? It's like not admitting that your favorite shirt actually has a stain on it, but you continue to wear it anyway. The stain is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to get clean. It's like not admitting you're sick and therefore not going to see a doctor to get the medicine you need that would actually help to get you well. Denial can can do that to us. It can make a problem, a sickness, a stain grow worse and worse because we refuse to acknowledge it so that it can be fixed. Here's the other thing about denial. Denial also makes our Savior very small. Remember, one of the things that sin does best is to convince us that we know best what is sinful or not. That we'll be the judge of that. I I remember a season in my life when I fell into uh, this trap of living in denial of my broken condition I felt like I wasn't as bad as other people out there so sin must not be a big problem for for me while while maybe I didn't feel the pangs of of guilt internally for something terrible that I uh, that I did I also didn't really experience the greatness of Jesus what I didn't realize is that by living in denial of sin I was living in denial of God's infinite mercy and grace I saw other people as in need of that, not, not me. I, I wasn't a bad person. I just needed a little, little grace here and there. Grace was for really bad people, not for me. I, I, I had all the grace I, I need. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like them. Not me. I didn't need dramatic rescue and healing. Just some, just some spot treatment. Worshiping a small Savior. Uh, theologian Stanley Hauerwas talks about this danger in the context of Lent, the season that we're in right now. He says, I've always thought that Lent is a dangerous time for Christians. This time in the church here, I fear, tempts us to play at being Christian. We're to discipline our lives during Lent to discover and repent of those sins that prevent us from, from wholehearted worship of God. That is a a perfectly appropriate ambition, but we are not very good at it. We're not very good at it because 
in general, we're not very impressive sinners. Just as most of us are mediocre Christians, so we're mediocre sinners. As a result, Lent becomes a time we get to play at being a sinner all the while continuing to entertain the presumption that we're not really all that bad. That was me. That still is me sometimes. And I guess saying maybe sometimes it's you too. But when we're in denial of our, in terms of our sin and our brokenness, we're also in denial of the vastness of God's mercy and the very character of God. But when we turn and return away from denial, turn toward confession, we're not only aware of, but we lean on, we step into the vast mercy of God. We experience a love that is all-consuming. It's like the dam of denial breaks open and all the toxic and stagnant water that has built up flows out of our hearts and lives while, while God's, more of God's grace and mercy floods in. David turns to confession from denial precisely because he worships a big God with a, a wide mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. The only way, the only way this kind of prayer, this confession is possible is because of the steadfast love and mercy of God. The only way we can confess our sins with that kind of sincerity and vulnerability is because we know who is receiving the confession and can trust God's character. That's the amazing and beautiful gift of confession. That's why confession is so powerful and transforming when we turn to it instead of living in denial. Because it's actually a double confession. When we confess and name what we have done wrong, we simultaneously confess and name what we believe about God and who we believe God to be. It's a double confession. I mean, when your child or grandchild cries out to you for help, they aren't just saying there's a problem, they're also saying something about you. That they trust you to take care of them. They're saying something about your character, that you are loving and trustworthy. Confessing is a cry. Confessing is a cry for help and admission of wrongdoing, but it's also a declaration of trust and faith in the overwhelming, extravagant, prodigal, reckless, costly grace of God. Have mercy on me according to your faithful love. According to your great compassion, wipe away my wrongdoings. As Karl Barth once said, we only really know sin on its way out. In other words, in light of God's grace. Confessing our sins shows that we trust, even if it's just by a thread sometimes, the God of the universe, to deal with us and the problem of our sin in the way only God can, according to God's faithful love and great compassion. You're not likely to, to confess and place yourself in that vulnerable position if you don't trust the one listening to, handling the contents, the delicate, fragile contents of your confession, indeed your life. 
But here's the truth. We know we can come before God in confession only because God has already come to us first in the person of Jesus Christ. God became vulnerable before we ever did. God showed us God's cards long before we showed ours. We read the verse last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We know we are sinners in need of grace because we are first loved by God. And we learn that sin is not just being bad. It's failing to love the God who loves us and shows us what love is. But when we are loved by God, we can turn from denial to confession as a response to God's love for us. Confessing that we trust and depend on God to be God with us. In forgiving us, cleansing us, healing us, making us new because that is who God is. That's God's character to confess is to be taken to the foot of the cross and the saving work of Jesus Christ whose shed blood has washed us clean of our sin and restored our relationship with God. It is to stand in the place where a Savior said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's an expression of faith in God's reconciling and pardoning love. It presumes a trust in the Father it, it, rather, it presumes a trust that the Father hears us, hears our sorrowful heart, and out of nothing else than a deep love, forgives us. I often tell couples in premarital counseling that the single hardest but most critical phrase they will have to say in their marriage, the thing that might make the biggest difference in the growth and health of their relationship is whether or not they're able to sincerely say to one another the following. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I love you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I love you. Because things will happen. One, one partner will say or do something or not say or do something that's deeply hurtful, striking a, a blow to the relationship. And when that happens, it can either be dealt with for healing or growth or it can be denied or ignored for festering and decay. How much more so? How much more so with the God who made us for God's self, who made us to be in relationship with God? I wonder how good we are of saying something similar to God. I wonder if it's a, a holy habit or not. A daily practice. Daily practice. Or, or are we better at denial? However you find yourself today, friends, know this, believe this. You are deeply loved by God. And God, in God's infinite mercy and love, is inviting us to, to return again and again from denial and toward confession. May we make it a regular part of our lives. May God give us the grace and humility, the, the courage and vulnerability to say over and over again without hesitation, 
I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I know you love me, God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.